Okay, let's turn our Bibles, or actually you probably want to do this, because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hang on to uh, the bulletin on the back has the text that we're going to be looking at. This is what we're going to be actually standing to read. Uh, it probably be more helpful than kind of jumping around in, in your scriptures. Uh, we are beginning an incredible journey in Genesis. I can't wait. I hope you're ready. I hope that you've been, those of you that have been here for a while, hearing about it during the summer and kind of winding down through our first missionary journey, that you're ready to go. Because I am ready to go. And here's how we're going to begin. A couple of weeks ago, I started working on Genesis, and I was working on the text work, not the book work. The book work I actually began way back in the spring. So way back in the spring, before vacation, you kind of do the work of getting the general flow of the book, kind of finding its peaks and finding its valleys, finding its, its major paths throughout the book. And you kind of go there and you map it out. And that's what I did in the spring. Well, then a couple weeks ago, though, you start into the word work. You get in, you roll up your sleeves, and you start digging into the text and finding and discovering the treasures in the text. So what I had done is I went to Waco's and America's favorite neighborhood coffee shop, got my Mac G4 PowerBook computer on the table, opened it up to my Accordance Bible software with the Hebrew text right on the screen, loaded thousands of dollars of worth of reference works in it, a whole library full in it, all crammed into one little laptop computer. And then I had seven books commentaries and books on Genesis stacked next to my computer. And now let me tell you, I was in the zone. Do you know what that is? Everyone knows what the zone is. I mean, if you're an athlete, a musician, even a mother knows what the zone is. It's that heightened sense of state and being where everything is just firing on all cylinders. You know, instead of one thought, you've got ten thoughts. Instead of seeing one thing, you're seeing ten things all at the same time. Fully inspired, energized, you're ready to go. It's almost as if the fall has never happened. <laughs> you know, there's no futility. Your, your computer's not sticking. It's working. You're working. It's firing. You're not getting thorns, no rocks, fruit, production, efficiency. Just a tremendous time. I mean, I was really in the zone. And then this guy gets his coffee, and he sits perpendicular to me on my left-hand side, two arms' lengths away. Okay? He grabs his coffee, and he starts drinking it, and he starts looking at me. And I can tell he's looking at all my books on my table, and he's trying to figure out who is this guy and what's he all about. Now, I told you I was in the zone, right? I don't want him talking to me. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want any talking. I want no talking at all. And I hear this, Genesis 1 through 15, he says. I said, I could just feel the zone falling, crumbling, brick by brick all around me. I said, excuse me? Because I couldn't tell, is it a question or is it a statement? Genesis 1 through 15. So he says it again, Genesis 1 through 15, and he points at my 
my books. And in my book, I looked, there was a commentary, and it said Genesis 1 through 15. And I said, yes, that's a book on Genesis 1 through 15. And I quickly put my eyes back to my computer screen, hoping he'd take the hint. He didn't. Genesis 3.8, he says. Again, is this a statement or is this a question? And I'm thinking literally to myself, who is this guy? You know, he can't take a hint. He talks in riddles. He's the Riddler. He's the Joker. You know, who is this dude? Then he says, do you know Genesis 3.8, he says. And I go, oh, here we go. We're going to talk. And he says... The real translation of Genesis 3.8 is not, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, but, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the spirit of the day. And he goes on to explain that it's not cool, but spirit of the day. And I'm nodding politely because I agree with his exegesis. I agree with him. Why are you talking to me? But I agree with him. (laughs) Right? And then he gets to his point. His point is this. You can only hear the sound of God. You can only hear God's voice in the spirit of the day. All right? That's what he says. He gets to his point. Now, I just want to do a quick timeout. Here's a guy that interrupted me because he thinks what he has to say is better than what I'm doing. Okay? Now, here's a guy who's not asking a genuine question, he has a definite agenda. And I think his point is to fix me. Right? That poor pastor needs to get into the spirit of the day to hear God's voice, not hide behind all of his books. That's what I'm thinking. So I couldn't help it. I'm sorry, I couldn't. I'm making a confession, I just said it. What I said was shocking. What I said was kind of, eh, now as I look back on it, I'm first time here, it would be rather startling. But it needed to be said. So I said to him this. I said, actually, you know what the passage is saying? It's actually saying that a holy God is thundering towards his disobedient servants, Adam and Eve, to judge them. And then I smiled. <laughs> and then, just in case he didn't get it, I said, God's angry. <laughs> now, Welcome to Genesis 1 through 11. We are going on a journey that you will see startling sights that you've never seen before, and they will change your life. And you will go to places that you've been before, like Genesis 3 8, places that are familiar with you, places that are old friends to you, and they're not going to be what you thought they were. And it will startle you. And I just need to say one other thing before we begin. If, if you are that young man and you're in here this morning, <laughs> I won't tell if you won't. Let's stand to hear God's word. All right, Genesis 1 and 2. And then we're going to look at Exodus 2, and you can see what we're going to do here. When we get to Exodus 2, let's read those together, then I'll pick it up again on the third reading. Here we go, Genesis 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Together, 
During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, Well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. I I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you do forgive us of our sin, and for that you are to be trembled at. We thank you that you move in graciously in our lives, and for that you are to be trusted. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are more beautiful and wonderful beyond we could ever think or imagine. And for that, Lord, you are to be adored and worshipped and feared above all. And Lord, we come to you now acknowledging that we are little in our trembling, little in our trusting, and little in our worship. So, oh Lord, would you come down and fix us, visit with us, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis is a journey to the beginning of all things. That's where we're going. We're going to the very beginning of all things, and that means we're the beginning of the world. So we're going to look at the beginning of the visible and the invisible world, all of creation. So we're going to see that there is a, there is a visible world that we see, and there's an invisible world that we don't see that, that is all around this visible world, and the invisible and the visible are part of creation. We're going to see that. We're also going to see the beginning of the most, cre- the most significant and prized creature ever made. He's actually called literally a copy king or the image of God. We're going to go to the beginning and see that happen. We're also going to go to the beginning of paradise. And what I mean by paradise is this. We're going to the garden. In the garden, heaven and earth fuse together. They fuse together in anticipation of that fusion of the garden stretching all over all creation called the consummation. And we're going to go there to the beginning with high hopes that it's going to happen. And then we're going to go to the very beginning of all cosmic chaos. A decreation, if you will. The actual undoing of creation, the actual return of the darkness, the floodwaters, and the wasteland seeking to reclaim creation. Everything gets turned upside down. 
man and creation, and we're going to go there. We're going to watch it happen. Okay? And then we're also going to go to the beginning of grace. We're going to go to the the sweetest sound ever heard. We're going to go to the very beginning of a sound that had never been heard before. Now, it's a sound that Peter tells us in his letters that the angels right now, right now, so even hundreds of years, thousands of years since then, lean over the walls of heaven and strain to hear the music. It's such a powerful sound. It's such a beautiful sound that whoever hears it is recreated. Literally, the floodwaters are pushed back. The darkness is pushed back. The wasteland is pushed back by the sound of this word, grace. That's where we're going. What our goal today is this, is to prepare you for the journey. That's my purpose today. My purpose is to prepare you for the journey in Genesis. Let's say you pick up Genesis like we're doing now. Let's say you pick up Genesis and like a normal person, you start at chapter 1 and you start reading through Genesis. Now let's say that you picked up Genesis and you're reading Genesis. And let's say while you're doing that, you miss the major central radiating point of the book while you're doing that. In other words, when you're reading the radiation of something is not happening in your reading, not happening in your application, not happening in your ministry to others that you use the book with. Let's say that happens. What will happen to you personally? What will happen to you parents that have children? What will happen to your children if this happens? You read the book. You apply the book. You teach the book. You minister the book by missing the central point of the book the central governing context of the book. What happens to those you love? What happens to those you minister to? What happens if you're a pastor or a teacher, if you're a lay leader or a Sunday school teacher, or you're a missionary, or you're an evangelist, or you're just a friend talking to someone in the dorm room, or you're a good neighbor talking to your neighbor? What happens to you? What happens to them? Do you know what happens? Here's what happens. What happens is the difference between being hit by a spring shower and a Category 5 hurricane. You'll get 10 mile an hour winds, not 200. Oh, you won't have to water your yard for the day rather than having everything underwater. No storm surge or the ocean literally marches miles inland. It's entertaining to watch the thunder and lightning in a shower, summer, spring, thunderstorm. In a hurricane, don't go outside if you still have an inside. 20 minutes and the spring shower is gone, right? A little debris, some leaves, some debris. When a hurricane leaves, Coastlines change. Neighborhoods look like a nuclear warhead went off. The difference is between a spring shower and a hurricane. 
Now, I know some of you are saying, I don't like hurricanes, Jeff. They're too painful. They're too scary. They're too uncertain. You can die in hurricanes, Jeff. Yep. I don't want them. And clap you if you're honest with me. You say, you know what? I, I really like the spring shower because they're more manageable. I like, I like having outlines. I like being able to write things down. I like being able to take things out with me on paper. I like good nuggets. I want that kind of stuff. And I say, fair enough. I understand that. I do understand that. Hurricanes are not fun. Spring showers are rather nice. But I I just want to push back just a little, can I? Will you let me? Okay, thanks. Here's I'm going to push back just a little. Your fear is really an alternate faith. Do you know what I mean by that? What I mean is this, is that your fear really is within it a solid belief that you're trusting. And all I want to do is I just want to right now is suggest maybe possibly there's one solid belief that you could be trusting in. When we're afraid of the hurricane, when we're afraid of that kind of impact coming from the scriptures, particularly as we venture into Genesis, when we're afraid of that, it could be because we have the solid belief that our happiness is fundamentally found in personal freedom and independence. So a spring shower, tame stuff, preserves your personal freedom and independence, therefore it preserves your happiness. Now, hurricanes, they don't do that. Hurricanes are very threatening. They unsettle things. They move things around. They kill. They do destructive things. And when that happens, it's a, it's a threat to personal freedom and a threat to personal independence. But I want you with me while we're going through Genesis. I don't want you checking out. He's saying, well, you know what? I really do think my happiness is found in my personal freedom and my personal independence, and that's where I want it to be, and I don't want to be moved off, and I want to say, it's okay. Please stay with me. I want you to do one thing for me while we go through Genesis, and I just want to ask you, could you just remain open-minded? Open-minded in this way, to the possibility that there could be a better, more solid belief then your happiness found in personal freedom and independence. There might be a more solid, better faith than that. One infinitely more satisfying. And I want you to hang in there with us as we go through Genesis. We're going to see it, okay? We're going to see things you might not have seen before. And it'll change your life. Okay. Now, what's so central to reading and applying and ministering Genesis? What needs to be radiating in your reading? What needs to be informing and shaping your application of Genesis? What needs to be pushing and driving your ministry of Genesis? What needs to do that? Look at Genesis 1, verse 2. Let's look at that. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
Okay. Now remember, I told you that you're going to see some things that you've never seen before. And I also told you that you're going to see some old places that are not what you think. This is one of those times. We're going to a place that you're familiar with. We're going to the dawn of creation. But it's not what you think. And for longtime churchgoers, what I'm about to say is going to knock you off your socks. So please fasten your seatbelts and don't share your socks with the person next to you. Okay? Here it is. The Bible doesn't begin with creation. The Bible doesn't begin with a dark, flooded wasteland, what theologians call a blob of matter that a master craftsman picks up in his hands and crafts and forms a world of wonders by simply speaking. The most effortless thing to do. The Bible doesn't begin here. So where does the Bible begin? The Bible begins with redemption. Now, you longtime churchgoers, just hold on. I'm going to prove it to you, but just hold on. I, I want us to just sit there for a moment. I want you to sit there and hear that word, redemption. This is a theological word. This is a theological point. We were looking at it at the foundations class. This is a massive word. It is a loaded word. It's a Pike's Peak kind of word. And I want you to hear it. It's not going to hurt you. It's a biblical word and it will not hurt you. You can hear it. And if we ignore biblical words like redemption and we want to water them down or we're embarrassed by them and we want to you know, find a little more trendy, easier to digest word, what we end up doing is we miss out on tons of glory in them. In other words, the biblical word is meant to lift us up and help us see from its level. Biblical words like redemption lift you up to see new things. And if we ignore these biblical words... We do damage to us, and we do damage to our children, and we do damage to each other, and we do damage to those we minister to because we're not being lifted up by the Word. We're just staying down here playing with Play-Doh and trying to find a Word that kind of associates itself with it. So we need these biblical words, okay? All right, now, let's go back to you longtime churchgoers that didn't hear a word I said because you can't believe the Bible doesn't begin with creation. I just want to prove it to you quickly. Here's, here's how we're going to prove it. Who were the first hearers of Genesis? All right, Genesis becomes inscripturated. You know what that means? It means that 100% divine words inspired a human agent, 100% human words, and the Word of God was formed, and it was written down, and it was a book called Genesis. Okay? Who were the first ones that received the copy? Who were the first ones that had it read to them? Who were the first ones that heard the words in the beginning God created? Who were they? 
Was it the creatures in the pristine creation? Was it Adam and Eve? Was it Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and all the family and friends that surrounded those people? Was it cavemen, dinosaurs? Who was it? You know what the answer is? Newly redeemed people. Fresh out of an exodus from Egypt. The first people who here in the beginning God created are people that have just been powerfully brought out of the number one nation in the world. It would be like, what would it be like? All right, let's do it this way. I spent some time in Providence. In Providence, they had this big pineapple in one area of the the area, and it it was the Italian section. And in the Italian section was all kinds. We had that flag painted down the the street, tremendous restaurants, best food in the whole place. It It would be like someone walking into the United States and saying, we're taking, we're going to create an Italian nation now. In the United States, you're done. And we're going to evacuate them all. It's the power of the world, Egypt, and the Israelites are exited out. And while they're exited out, there's a leader among them, and the leader is called Moses. And he's actually the author of Genesis. And then this people is led to a place called Mount Sinai, and while he's on Mount Sinai, more inscripturated, more written words, more revelation is given to Moses that is formed what's called the law. Now, you can read that one of two ways in the Scripture. You can read the law as the first five books in the Bible called Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Or you can read it it as the Ten Commands of God, the specific will of God communicated, the Ten Commandments. The point is this. In God's hands, the book of Genesis, the words of Genesis, are used in a redemptive context. That's the point. Another way of saying it is, please hear me, creation is real history. It happened. God did it, just like the pages say it did. But creation is history written down for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose is to impact people who need redemption. So do you see what's happening here? When you read Genesis and apply Genesis, you need to be in it as a person needing redemption. If you read Genesis not as a person needing redemption, you get a a summer shower, not a hurricane. Do you see that? Okay. Now, I think we're ready for the personal push. I said that was a theological. Here's our point. Our point is the Bible begins with redemption, not creation. Now, let's get a little more personal, okay? That word redemption is a biblical word. What does it mean? What does it mean? The word redemption means a divine rescue. Here's the picture. The picture is a slave market. Not... Anybody been to a slave market? You've been probably to historical, ancient, old slave markets. 
whether you've been down in South Africa or down in the South or in areas where they've had them. But a slave market is a place of bars. It's a place of blood. It's a place of chains. A slave market is a place without a soul. Dignity, decency, gone. Goodness, peace, personal well-being and flourishing, gone. Identity, happiness, life, comfort, love, unknown. It's a place with dark lords and dark masters. Experts in soul violence. Experts in soul abuse. Experts in disintegrating the human soul. And they rule with an uncontested dominion. You know what that means? It means a universal hold with no contrary influences at all. Dominion. King. And he bursts into the slave market and he takes out the first startled guard just like that. He's down, he doesn't rise again. When he does this, it draws the attention of the Dark Lord's champion. And for the briefest moment, they catch eyes. One with fire, one with fear. And he charges. Now, the Dark Lord's champion is a mighty champion. He's undefeated. He's never lost. Every son of Adam that comes into the world, he crushes out and slaves drags into his chains and the bars and the blood the stench the odor the misery the nightmares the soul disintegration takes them all his name is so feared that his name's not even talked about today you can't even hear his name anymore you'll hear therapy you'll hear dysfunction but you won't hear his name his name is sin dark lord's champion With a ferocious thrust, he runs his sword right through sin's heart. No hesitation. No pity. No mercy. And then he looks for the next one. It's not easy to find. He's the one hiding in the corner. It's the Dark Lord himself. Surrounded by all his legions. Now when they meet, it's a rather interesting confrontation because everyone in this circle has been together or known each other for a really long time. It wasn't even a fair fight. One against legions. They didn't have enough. He can barely contain himself. Not because he's exhausted. Because he's overcome with joy. And he runs. He finds the cell, rips the door open, and divine light flows into that place for the very first time. It blinds the poor creature curled up in a ball on the cold floor. 
and with immeasurable love, infinite grace, breathtaking power. He carries him out and carries him home. He rescues him. Brothers and sisters, that's redemption. The Bible begins there. The Bible begins with your need of rescue. The Bible begins with your need of Him, the Redeemer. So, what should this do to us? We're, we're, we're on this adventure now in Genesis. We're beginning a journey in Genesis, and my job today is to get us prepared for it by showing us that the way we're going to actually get hit by the hurricane, the way that the 200-mile-an-hour winds are going to hit us, is by seeing that as we read Genesis, we're reading it in light of our need of redemption, our need of Him, in need of a Redeemer. So practically, what does that mean like? We've got some remaining time. This is what I want to talk about practically, and we'll be done. Practically, it means this. You need to read Genesis. You need to hear it as it's preached as one who is in need of rescue. One who's in need of divine rescue. You know what that means? I think one person put it really well. They said, listen, you need to see yourself as Swiss cheese. Your heart and your life is Swiss cheese. You're loaded with holes. You're not a holy person. You are missing everything. And, the, and Genesis is given to target your holes. Do you know how enlivening that is? You don't come to Genesis and you don't come to the scriptures trying to pretend you don't have them and trying to stuff them with fluff. You come saying, I'm holy. I need a rescue. And the scripture is written for me to rescue me. It's written to target these holes. It's written to address these holes that the scripture in Genesis that we're actually going to look like is targeting very specifically the human heart and its need of rescue, its need of redemption. And yes, that means those of us that don't know Jesus right now and are out of a relationship with God, we've never, we're still locked in that cell. We don't even know that we're in that dark dungeon. And our soul is disintegrating. Yes, it means you get rescued for the first time, but it also means salvation also means the ongoing work of plugging holes and renewing the person You still need an ongoing work, so to speak, of recovery and rescue. That's all of us. No one's excluded from that. And Genesis is written for you, for that purpose. And so if you deny your need of rescue, you're working against God's divine activity in Genesis. Everybody always wonders, how do you quench the Holy Spirit? I think that's how you do it. I really do. 
I think if I come to the scriptures, it's one of the ways, I'm not saying it's the only way, if I come to the scriptures and I don't really have a conscious awareness that I am in need of rescue and in need of redemption, I'm going to the scriptures working against the divine work of God in the scriptures, which is to address someone in need of redemption. And I think when I do that, I quench the Holy Spirit. That's one of the ways we can do that. Okay? Now, what this means, too, is that that means now, just think about this. You can take your sin, you can take your fears, you can take your confusion, you can take your desperation, you can take your distress, take all of your need of redemption and need of rescue and run to the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures was given to rescue you in there. So you don't need to think like this. When you grab the scriptures, well, you don't grab the scriptures. Because, gosh, I've got to get my life together before God will hear me, before he'll listen to me, before he'll bless me, before he'll meet with me, before he'll help me, before he'll do good to me. No, no. We're in need of rescue. Come with your holes. Come with your fears. Come with your sin. It's not about getting your act together, because you can't. That's holding down, suppressing the truth that you are in need of rescue, in need of redemption. It's working against God in the Scriptures. Okay? All right, so go to the Bible admitting that you need to be rescued. That's a great way to go to the Scriptures. I mean, before, whenever you do, like before you come here on Sunday, whenever you read the Scriptures, whenever, before you open it, admit, God, I need rescue. Simple. Mean it. Say it. Then ask to be rescued. And then while you read, look for it. Listen for it. Look for him. Listen for him. The Bible begins with you needing to be rescued. Which leads us to our second thing. While you read and hear Genesis, do so as one needing him. Genesis will give you him. Don't read and apply Genesis... As if you don't get him. And here's how we do that. If we read, we can read Genesis in a way that we don't get Jesus. One, we can say things like, well, I just don't think he's there. And then we need to, I don't have time to talk to you about that, but we will talk to you about that. Okay? The other is this. You can take a text in Genesis. Let's say Joseph. Here's the text. I want you to put your box, put a T in there. Text. You read the text or creation. Read the text. And if you immediately go from the text to yourself, you, here, you just misread Genesis. If you go to the text immediately to yourself, because what you do when you do that, you just kind of intuitively think, what does it mean? What does it mean for me? And I go from the text to myself and I get all kinds of things. If Joseph has a dysfunctional family, I go to myself and I say, I've got a dysfunctional family. Good night. 
I have a bathrobe. <laughs> right? And we identify and we start, we start going to applications and reading it in light of his dysfunction and what happened in my dysfunction and what happened. And we can kind of get some really weird stuff if we do that. Now, you guys know some of them. You've been here a while. You know the one David and Goliath. That's also one that we do. Text immediately to us. David kills Goliath. Me, kill my Goliath. What are my faith killers in life? And we read the text that way. That's misreading the text. That's misapplying the text. That's avoiding Jesus in the text. Nehemiah, he's rebuilding the wall. You go to yourself, business principles, leadership principles. That's misreading the text. That's misapplying the text. That's avoiding Jesus in the text. What we need to do is go from the text to Jesus to you. I know some of you aren't convinced. Stay with me in Genesis. We'll show you how that's done. And I know you're thinking to me, you're saying it out loud. I don't know how to do this. And my answer is, learn. Learn. It's that important. So here's what you can do to learn. What you can do is start reading now for next week. We're going to read Genesis 1. Start reading Genesis 1 and look for him. If Genesis is actually given in the context of redemption, it was actually written to people in the Exodus sometime, universal scholarship says, sometime after the Exodus, before the promised land, that's when Genesis was given to these people. These were people in need of redemption. If the creation account is given in that context, that means even creation, all the scripture is in the context of the cross, in the context of redemption. And that's why Paul says, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. Not that he's just preaching the cross. It means that all of redemption is the center focus of the scriptures. And yes, that means the cross. All right. Do that. Now, as we do this next week, see if you're learning. Come on Wednesday nights. That's what we're doing on Wednesday nights. We're going through how to find him in the scriptures. How you do that. And then and this is a self, I don't know what you call it, self, self something. But here is a rapid reference library just off the print. This is 10 years in the making. This is taking, you notice the guy's reaching for a library. This is taking hundreds and hundreds of books. That's pretty good, isn't it? Crammed into this. I'm saving you money. I'm saving you from having 12 bookcases in your house like I have in mine. Your wife will love you. Less money, less space. And what this does is that this condenses and it takes in a rapid way, how do you begin to read the Bible, apply the Bible in light of your need of redemption? in light of your need of him. We have 35 copies. Once they're gone, we'll have more. There's ways in which we can learn. Okay, here we are. We've begun a journey. We're beginning a journey. 
in order to feel the force of the journey while we're going through Genesis, in order to get the hurricane and not the spring shower. Spring showers are nice. They're not what we want. We want a God coming down thing. We want a divine event. We want divine action. We want Jesus showing up and change happening on the spot. That's what we want. That's what we're after. That's what the scriptures actually say. Expect it. Pray for it. Look for it. Hunt for it. So that's how we're going to begin. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Prepare our hearts. Help us see our need of redemption. Help us see him, the redeemer. And rescue us, Lord. Even as we read your word, even as we think on it, even as we pray over it, even as it's preached. And even now, Lord, as the Lord's Supper is held out, in Jesus' name, amen.